Hey everybody. Hello, Cat Jeff. I think you're really going to enjoy today's episode. This is with Barry Enderwick from Sandwiches of History on Instagram. And I was introduced to him via previous podcast guest and head brewer at Round Trip Brewing in Atlanta, Georgia. And Barry and I talk a lot about sandwiches. We also dive into his time at Netflix. Even before Netflix was a thing, we talk about marketing. So go get a couple of pieces of buttered bread, your anchovy paste, and enjoy this conversation with Barry Enderwick. It's awesome. I don't know how I'm making this up as I go. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I need to do this all day. The Matt Sodnicker Podcast. When I watch your posts on Instagram, the first thing that um, I'm reminded of, I was a huge Letterman fan back in the day. And I don't know if you remember that segment he had, Will It Float? <laughs> I, I barely remember that segment, but I was a huge Letterman fa- fan as well. So, um, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I see you start talking about this recipe and I just wait with such anticipation over is the sandwich going to suck or not? And I was scrolling through the feed because there was one that <laughs> I think you stopped mid bite because it was so bad. But yeah. um, <laughs> I just love the anticipation of if the sandwich is going to suck or not. I think that's part of the appeal, really, though, right? Uh, and to be fair, like I probably get higher engagements on ones that suck. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm not here to make just purely like try and get the highest engagement and try and optimize my videos for views and stuff like that. I'm just, I'm making a sandwich, see how it goes. I can plus it up and make it something I'd want to eat again. There we go. It's a win. <laughs> so what is it about the 19 aughts and buttered bread and anchovies? The anchovies, the only thing I can think of is that uh, they would be tinned and they would be widely available and they'd be a good source of protein that would be relatively inexpensive. The buttered bread, I, I think, when I look at some of the, a lot of these recipes, they'll say to cut off a piece of bread from a loaf uh, okay. and make sure that the loaf is at least one day old, or they would call it stale. So what you've got is kind of a crumbly bread. Uh, so by putting butter on it, you kind of it acts as a moisture barrier, but it also kind of helps with the dry bread to make it more palatable. So I think that's why you see butter used just throughout these books until about the 60s or 70s when it seems to have fallen out of favor here in America. It's still done in the UK and a lot of Europe, from my understanding. I will admit I'm an anchovy fan, sort of even outside the uh, Caesar salad. And I do have a couple of tins of sardines, the, some of the, the newer ones that have the flavors mixed in, like the beans and the 
peppers and tomatoes. I think it's a decent snack. I, I think so too. And there's also a lot to be said for eating down the food chain like that as well, because you you lessen maybe exposure to, to mercury that you might get with fish that are bigger fish. Um, and also it's more sustainable. There's just, there's a kabillion anchovies and, and sardines out there. So they're not getting overfished or anything like that, which is great. Um, and I actually, I like anchovies outside of uh, uh, Caesar salad as well. Uh, it's just when the sandwiches call for like filling the sandwich with anchovy paste. It's like, no, <laughs> please. No. There's just certain words that evoke, I think, a uh, over vivid image, and anchovy paste is one of them. <laughs> it has to be used very judiciously, and it has its place. But when the sandwich, like I said, when the sandwich, the recently I did a sandwich, and it said to fill the sandwich with anchovy paste, I'm like, not on your life. <laughs> I will use, it. and even then I used it sparingly, and it was still terrible. So, <laughs> What's been the worst sandwich, two-part question, the worst sandwich you've made? And uh, I don't want to throw a restaurant under the bus, but what's the worst sandwich that you've purchased? Sandwich that I, worst sandwich that I purchased, I don't, I don't even, I couldn't even tell you. I don't, like I, first of all, I don't eat a lot of sandwiches outside of the house now because, I eat half sandwich every day, half sandwich to a sandwich every single day. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't eat a lot of sandwiches uh, out of the house. Worst sandwich I ever made, I think it's probably going to be the oyster sandwich from the up-to-date sandwich book of 1909, which had me chop up raw oysters, mix in some uh, Worcestershire sauce, and put it on buttered bread with a leaf of lettuce. And I like raw oysters on the half shell with a little mignonette, a little Tabasco, a little lemon. But chopped up and mixed up with olive oil and Worcestershire, it was a terrible, slimy, gross mess. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and look. That may have been the one that I saw because it was a first bite reaction. It was early on. It was it was one of the early sandwiches that I did. <laughs> Just plus it up by throwing it in the trash can. Well, luckily, it was the pre-plus up era, but there would have been no plus up for that other than the like, you, you'd have to cook the oysters, but then it's already mixed with all that other stuff, so just... <laughs> what was the origin of the idea <clears throat> and one of my friends had turned me on to the feed and i i was immediately drawn in just i think um you know your personality and i have some other design questions around it but what was the origin of the idea um first of all thanks i appreciate that um and but the origin of the idea so i originally okay Let's back it up to when I left Netflix, I had absolutely zero social media presence whatsoever. I didn't know about social media. I didn't know how it worked or anything like that. So I started playing around with it, eventually getting uh, Instagram, very late getting on Twitter and um, not doing very well on that, uh, succeeding on expanding that out. Um, and on Facebook, which was the one that I had used somewhat when I was at Netflix, I would buy potato chips, interesting flavored potato chips, and I'd post a picture and a description of it, like what I thought of it. And my friend said, oh, you should do some, you should do a vlog. I'm like, okay. So I started recording videos and I started doing in the chips with Barry. And then probably about two and a half years into that, that same friend forwarded me a PDF of the up-to-date sandwich book of 1909 and said, check this out. This would be fine and fun to do. And I'm like, yes, it would. So <laughs> I just started doing it and I did it on Instagram first and it the format that i chose was not not successful on instagram it was posting a picture on the feed 
making up videos and stories, which then went away in 24 hours. And it didn't do very well. And I just sort of let it go kind of like just be a ghost ship for a while for about six months, seven months. And then TikTok came along and I thought, well, what if I take the making of videos that were in the stories and put them on TikTok as videos? And it just took off. And I'm like, wait a minute, what if I do that on Instagram? And it has taken off. And now it's, <laughs> and then uh, YouTube is starting to take off as well. So it's pretty interesting. So can you separate your food curiosity from your marketing brain when you're doing this? Yeah, it's so one thing I don't do when I, when I think about marketing, I think about analytics, I think about what's the lifetime value, what's the cost per acquisition, uh, you know, what what are the target audiences, what is our brand position, what is the messaging, what are the pain points we're solving? Like all the traditional things that you think about when you think about marketing. When I do sandwiches of history, it has been very much a I'm just doing this. I'm just going to commit. I'm going to do one a day. And if it's successful, great. If it isn't, fine. I'm not going to look at video views. I'm not going to look at uh, advice about how many videos I should post a day. Or I, I typically don't hop on trends. Uh, I'll do it once in a blue moon um, if it's kind of like relevant. Um, but I just wanted to do something that was fun and enjoyable. And if it worked, great. If it didn't, oh well. So that to me, it, it, I do separate that out a little bit. Now, you know, it comes to the past that in, in doing sandwiches of history on multiple platforms, I've kind of mitigated risk of just having concentrated on one platform, right? So if, it, if it, I had just focused on TikTok and then TikTok started to founder, that's it. But I've also got Instagram, I've got YouTube, I've got Facebook. So a little bit of that marketing kind of, spread the risk around a kind of thing uh, <laughs> to play a little bit. And and it's kind of informing how I think about monetizing it as well. Now that I figure, you know, why not try and monetize it a little bit? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're putting the work in and that time and that effort and yeah. <clears throat> creativity should be rewarded if possible. Well, I like the way you think. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the one um, story I'll tell you about the podcast is that people ask me, you know, do I have sponsors, things like that. And I do it just because I enjoy the conversation mm -hmm. and I'm not going to lie. Would I love to do this as a full-time gig and just get paid to talk to people? Yeah, absolutely. But mm -hmm. I go into it with the, the mindset of enjoying the experience of it. Mm -hmm. And it's led me to meet, you know, think over 150 just cool people that I could count as friends. And yeah. yeah, if we learn something and I have a good time, then to me, I've satisfied, you know, what I feel is a more important metric than uh, yeah. the analytics, which I can't figure out. I've tried to figure out, but I've like for what analytics are tough. Yeah. yeah. And I can't believe that that's a thing because with all the, the metrics and analytics and advertising and now there's uh, what targeted ads based on, I was like, well, somebody knows, but I don't yeah. care. Like, you know, yeah, well, I, I certainly didn't start any of this out thinking like, oh, I'm going to make this a thing. I'm going to make this a, a potential living. Um, that wasn't ever the, and there was no end goal like that. Well, and I, I think it was, um, God, I'm going to attribute this quote to Dr. Dre, but um, he said that the minute you chase money, <laughs> not a personal friend, by the way. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. He was a guest already on your podcast. <laughs> um, is that the minute you chase money, God leaves the room. I think oh. I'm talking about 
um, the creativity of, you know, or the, the purity of the creation that if you're doing it for yourself and I've heard that too, where it's like, if you write for everybody, it's going to be so generic. And if you write for it to be popular, it's going to suck. Yep. I totally agree with that. Um, this might be an impossible question, but and it's a two-parter that if you could somehow separate the, the technology and you went back to um, the, the days of Netflix, mm-hmm. could sandwiches of history somehow exist in any way in 2008? Uh, potentially when because fa- Facebook was uh, at that point, I believe Facebook was the thing, right? If it wasn't the thing, it was on on the rise, and so there were, and there there was the era where virality was Facebook was where virality happened. So I think it might have happened there, um, but I think part of the reason why it's kind of taken off now is because of how chaotic the rest of social media feels. So there's a context um, that sandwich of, sandwiches of history is uh, viewed against. Uh, and relatively speaking, I'm not out there doing the latest dance. I'm not out there jumping off a roof. I'm not doing yet stuff yet. No, <laughs> not going to happen. That's not me. Um, I will. I will do little comedy things here and there, goofy things to make people laugh. But, um, but yeah, I'm just like, hey, let's make a sandwich. And everyone's like, oh, okay. I can calm down for a second. I can relax because um, I think there's 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 a fair amount of stress in going through your feed and seeing just nonstop stuff going on. Yeah. It, it took me a minute to get my mind around that. I'm always going to miss something that there's mm-hmm. going to be something that um, blows past me. Yep. And you talk about the comedy. You had said something on today's post about uh, the ether trip or oh, <laughs> that was totally lifted from Patton Oswald. I have to come. Oh, was it? Yeah. One of his, his uh, routines, he references an ether frolic. And I thought that was frolic. That's the word. I thought that was hilarious, but full credit to Pat Oswald. I did not come up with that. Hey, used in context, it's it's still funny as hell. <laughs> and again, with the technology, going back to Netflix in 2008, uh, because you can't take streaming out of that equation or the DVDs, but how would your life have been easier or more difficult if if this type of social media had existed when you guys were trying to get Netflix off the ground? Well, I mean, like, I, you know, I don't know because I was so heads down. I had been at Netflix by two in 2008. I had been at Netflix for seven years um, and I was all in like there was no other thing to do other than maybe, you know, run, cook or play golf or something like that. But like the the it be, by that point, it had become apparent to me that I was working at a company that was evolving and changing things in a way that most companies don't. Uh, and I was definitely interested in seeing where we were going next all the time. Um, when I first started, I had no idea. I like, I thought we could put Blockbuster out of business. When I first uh, joined Netflix, I was like, no brainer, this could, this could totally put Blockbuster out of business, which of course is a complete naive thing to think. Like realistically, we shouldn't have been able to put Blockbuster out of business. Um, and actually, if you think about it, Blockbuster put themselves out of business. We didn't do it. Uh, we just sort of like tipped the van as they started to roll. Yeah, um, but you were a forcing function in that equation though, I think. Right, exactly, exactly. 
So, but we we didn't like people say like, oh, you you put Blockbuster out of business. It's like, no, they made a bunch of bad bets, um, and it started with Viacom spinning them out with a massive amount of debt that they just couldn't bear. Um, and then they passed on buying Netflix. Uh, they thought they dismissed uh, DVDs by mail as a niche market. They were really late to get into streaming. Um, and we were, that's, I mean, when I joined the company, Reed had talked about streaming as the future. So, you know, we were focused on where things were going. Blockbuster was focused on maintaining market share and charging their 30% of their, their, uh, customer base with late fees. <laughs> I think that would cause people. <laughs> Do you think they had lost the, the culture battle or the, the vision battle before it even really started? I think, well, I think, I think they failed to understand the damage that the late fees had caused. Um, the, from a brand standpoint, I think they really underestimated or just didn't think it was a big deal because th that's just the way it was. Every video store operated under those rules of return it by this time, or you've charged a late fee and it gets more and more exorbitant the later you are. And then Netflix saunters into the room and says, Hey, no late fees. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> and it was, it was interesting because early on we would talk to people about, you know, Netflix was a completely foreign concept, this idea of DVDs by mail. It's like, wait, we order online, and so it's like mail order and what? But we would talk to people about, where do you rent your movies? Oh, we go to Blockbuster. Do you like going to Blockbuster? Oh, yeah, we love going to Blockbuster. It's fun. Oh, walk us through the experience. And they would walk through the experience, and the further along they got, the more angry they got. Because <laughs> they'd talk about having to find a movie. Oh, they couldn't find their first choice. Okay, then we settle for that movie. Then we get home, and then we, we can't watch the movie because the kid's sick or something like that. And then we forget to return it on time. And then, like, the, the whole thing was that there was a sort of, like, latent dislike. I wouldn't say hate, but dislike of the rental process that Blockbuster used. And so we were able to, like, turn that around and say, well, we'll send them to you. Free shipping both ways. No late fees. And when you send one back, we'll automatically send the next one on your list. You don't have to worry about it. So there was a there was a lot of um, there was a lot of using their own negative energy against them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to send your uh, your Medium article around to all my marketing friends tomorrow, and Thanks. you just hit upon that one thing: is that uh, you know attack the process, not the competition. Right. And I think that's that's a brilliant uh, example of uh, carving out mind space for either new customers or a new market. Yeah, we we actively it was it was well known within marketing that you do not mention Blockbuster in any ad. You just you don't you don't give them free advertising and Blockbuster, of course, didn't feel the same way. And they gave us free advertising on their TV commercials where they would show the Netflix mailer and the logo and say Netflix <laughs> out loud. And it was just like, thank you for people who had not heard of Netflix. They will now look up who Netflix is. So yeah, it's very much like don't, you know, attacking the, I mean, there, there, there can be an argument that if you're in second place and you know, you're going to be in second place that you're, and you can't really get into first place as a brand, you could, you can make a case for going after specifically like kind of like Burger King does with uh, McDonald's. Right. I don't know how Burger King would ever 
uh, displaced McDonald's as a first place brand. And so they've basically leaned, they've kind of leaned into the idea of uh, kicking up against McDonald's. But in general, uh, I would say if you act like a first place brand, it's better for you. Yeah, I love that concept. And uh, one of the books that's continual on my desk is this one. I'm sure you've, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so as you're talking about Burger King, um, you know, with uh, that Blockbuster ad and mentioning you guys as the competition, I, I want to spin up a marketing agency where, and I'm hiring, you know, if you ever want to come do this, okay. all I want to do is have, you know, moderately nice offices. We just kind of hang out. We don't really do anything until other companies send us their ad campaigns yeah. And we tell them, look, this isn't going to work. We know why. And yeah. so it's like, <laughs> and the way we make money yeah. is that they, they'll give us, uh, you know, 10,000 bucks to like fix their ad or whatever. Right. Or if they don't listen to us, we get to use their logo on our website that we told them this is going to fail. And he didn't <laughs> listen to us. <laughs> I don't know how that that's going to work out. But I like <laughs> and then we go back to eating sandwiches yeah, and exactly. you know, do whatever we want to do. You'll have a but, lot of toast sandwiches, but um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I see all these. Uh, and again, this is me imagining in the, the blockbuster room as they think they're just, you know, toasting champagne with this commercial coming out and just, crushing you guys and it's like you know there's sometimes you can i think you can see like uh culture in a company's brand yes and arrogance too yeah and it, the other thing one one other marketing lesson i learned from my boss at netflix that would basically just because an ad resonates with you doesn't mean it's a successful ad so if you see a competitor and they run an ad and you're like oh that's a great ad it doesn't matter unless you are the actual target audience then it matters. Then you're like, okay, I can, that's, a, that's a fair evaluation. Because we had people uh, within the company that would say like, oh, we should copy Blockbuster in doing X. And it's like, hang on. Here's why it's not really germane to who we're trying to get uh, get a hold. It's it's making you feel something because you work at Netflix and we're in competition with them. And it's not a bad ad, but it's not an ad that's going to be effective. The, the fresh eyes perspective. That's mm-hmm. something like, you know, if you don't know anything about us, does this make sense? Right. Losing that objectivity. Yeah. How have you combated that? This is something I struggle with uh, on multiple different fronts within sales and marketing is how do you get yourself to look at it for the first time? And especially as an organization. Honestly, I, I think consumer research is just invaluable. Uh, speaking to people who are in the target audience, um, and whether they're your customers or not, but just getting their perspective on it is just ridiculously invaluable. And we did that at Netflix the entire time I was there when, you know, we were, when we were before it turned into a studio that had its own content that it could then leverage and build a brand off that we had to build a brand off of, uh, other people's content. So we had to, we would like early days, we would, we had a partnership with block or early days. We had a partnership with um, Best Buy and they would sell our free trial. And if someone became a paid customer, they would get a bounty. Well, part of that arrangement was they let us go into their stores and talk to customers who were buying DVDs and kind of ask them to rent DVDs. Okay, great. Can we ask you some questions about this messaging and this iconography that we've got to, because we want to make sure it's communicating what we think it is. 
Um, and, you know, early on, I can remember, because I started off in, in graphic design uh, at Netflix and marketing. And I remember thinking, I, I nailed this. I, I got it. We go, went into our focus group uh, building and person after person just did not get it. And my first reaction was, how could they not get it? Why? What's wrong with them? And then you start to realize the only constant here is your work. <laughs> it. You didn't solve the problem. Um, so it was a, a great eye-opening um, situation and, and learning for me. Yeah, it's, it's something that I continually have to remind, first of all, starting with myself, but then mm -hmm. people I work with. It's like, look, people are busy. Think about all the emails you get. Um and just how do we make it easy for people to comprehend what we're trying to do here? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I, expect I, I think it's really the, the other thing that's great about when you talk to, especially if you're talking about communication is to customers and you want to introduce something new or something like that is just understanding how they speak about the problem that they have that you're solving or they, how they speak about the service that you're providing um, because the language they use most likely will be different than the stuff that you come up with as a marketer. Yeah, it can't be done in a vacuum. No. Yeah, I wasn't expecting an in-depth marketing conversation. I'm loving it. <laughs> I thought we'd be talking about sandwiches. <laughs> no, no, I can talk about either. I, I like I love both. <laughs> um, let me ask this question. So your your final meal as a sandwich, do you have one that you would pick? Uh, not really. I, so people ask me, you know, what's your favorite sandwich? And it's like, it depends on the mo my mood. It depends on how hungry I am. It depends on the weather, like how hot it is. So, you know, there, there's a roster of sandwiches that I, I love, but final sandwich, I, it would come down to what that day was like. Sure. Yeah. So, sorry. I know that's an unsatisfying answer, but. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> no, it's like asking a musician your favorite song. So I just, <laughs> God, <yeah. laughs> it was more just curious how you would process it than anything else. Um, um, yeah. It, it, so again, like if I'm, if, if I'm not starving, but somewhat hungry, something like the tomato from Turkey and the Wolf in New Orleans would be great because it's tomato full of flavor, delicious, satisfying, but it's not going to be super filling. If I'm starving, maybe I want to, you know, roast beef with blue cheese and arugula. Right. Ooh. So it just, it really depends. And it's, you know, it's not a hundred degrees out. I wouldn't want that on a hot day. So <laughs> an oyster pole, yeah, it's, that's, that's another, so it's just like muffaletta. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> Have you been uh, recognized out in the wild yet? Um, a few times at the local Whole, whole Foods. Uh, okay. The algorithm on Instagram or TikTok served me up to, uh, to folks here in San Jose, but it's not, I, I, I have no risk of uh, going traveling and, and having people recognize who I am. <laughs> I don't, would be. I don't, I don't. I mean, it's 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 nice that people were like, "Oh, hey!" I'm like, "Yeah, it's that's cool." Okay, but you know, if it doesn't happen, that's fine too. Well, and I think this is a credit to I think your personality and the tone you set on the the post and the feed is that it's. I get the feeling that this would kind of be if I was in your uh, kitchen, you're making me lunch. You're like, Hey, I found this. Let's just try this. Yeah. So you're, you're not trying to be anything but Barry, which is 
really cool. And the, the authenticity and the genuine uh, character in the best possible way comes through. And so I think well, you're you. just not, <laughs> you're not setting up a dance in whole foods and, and doing that. Yeah. That's, that's, I think it would be, I would not, I wouldn't want, I would burn up really quick, burn out really quickly if I tried to do a persona or, or something like that. I, I, I just, I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm just doing this because I like doing this. Yeah. What's the, the, the time commitment from start to finish for a production? I'm just curious because the, the videos are pro, but they're not overly produced. And what's your time commitment per video? That is kind of tough to say. I typically, what I've been doing is uh, batching the, the sandwiches on Sunday. So shooting about six sandwiches on Sunday um, just because of my day job. Um, and what I would do is on Wednesday, figure out what sandwiches I want to make, then, you know, go get the ingredients at the store on Friday and make the sandwiches maybe over the course of Saturday and Sunday, um, shooting, uh, and then during the week I just edit. So shooting a sandwich depends on the complexity of the sandwich, really simple ones. I can, I could probably shoot a video in about 10 minutes. Um, and then editing, editing probably takes about. 20 minutes. Cause I do close captions myself for Instagram. Mm. Uh, I do that in premiere pro. Uh, I just recently got a lav mic. So my sound sounds much better now instead of the, uh, cavernous, uh, kitchen, but, and then, you know, then there's the writing of the descriptions. There's the making of the thumbnails and then uploading all of this and scheduling it. So, I don't know how long per each one, but it's probably longer than I should spend. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you've got an eye for design and, and an eye for quality. And you, you. that's, I think it's core to who you are. And um, I was going to ask about your shirts too, because there's, there's a style element mm -hmm. there that uh, was it intentional as part of your brand? Oh no. I mean, <laughs> no. So, uh, I figured I needed a, a logo, so I just I kind of fussed around and created the logo that I've got. I come up came up with several, and most were terrible. Um, and then for the the shirts, like I'm going to plus this up and that sort of stuff. I was just like, I I like this aesthetic. I'm going to go with this. So um, again, it was not the, that's where the marketing brain did not kick in. Of like, I need to have, uh, and I actually think that it's probably more beneficial to have a more diversified look to merch. Um, so I'll probably introduce some different designs uh, pretty soon here. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen uh, these podcasts that are trending towards video production and it makes sense. I get it. I mean, yeah. but I think about um, just audio editing yeah. and it's uh, that's, hard enough but at least i can see it you know i can see the the waveforms and all that actually if you get premiere pro it's okay. brilliant because you can see you you see the video in waveforms but you also see the audio in waveforms and you can act, i can actually almost in just look if i had to i could just look at at the audio portion of it and edit a show together like really it, yeah it's like it's it premiere pro is is pretty 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 nice um and I've, I've gotten to know it a lot better. I'll check it out. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, was, I took like a Pete Holmes's podcast today when I was having lunch and yeah, yeah it's a 
three camera setup and he's got a studio and all that. Like, I mean, that would be awesome. I would love it if I didn't have to, to edit it <laughs> and to shoot it and yeah, keep yeah. track I, of the cameras the, and all that. Yeah. The more complexity you, you introduce, the more of a, uh, a an onerous task it's going to be. Um, but if you were to do video with single camera or, or, you know, using the video that we're doing now, um, you could do it in Premiere Pro and it would, I think you could still make it pretty interesting. I'll give it a shot. Yeah. This could be the first, uh, do we still call it a podcast if it's video? Uh, vlogcast? I don't know. I don't know. What, <laughs> do we just coin a new term? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, Trademark yeah. that. Trademark yeah, exactly. that. <laughs> I remember when I said vlogcast. <laughs> Um, back when I first started this, uh, this podcast, it was more of a business entrepreneurial one. And mm -hmm. I would ask questions because simply I wanted to learn. And it was about like how close, uh, entrepreneurs, people got to quitting kind of like that inflection point of at least for me, what I called like the midnight basement moments where you don't care, nobody cares, nothing's happening. And, um, I have read the Netflix book, but from your your perspective, your personal perspective, did you get close to walking away from the startup and what kept you there? Um, I, I did not get close to walking away from the startup. And what kept me there was the fact that we had a CEO that was talking about things that didn't exist, but that mm -hmm. would exist. And the company kept transforming over time. So when I joined, it was DVDs by mail, and that was it. Um, then it became DVDs and streaming. Then it became only streaming. Then it became a studio. Um, and the the relentless attempts to try and figure out what to do next. Like at one point, we did a test where we had stores within grocery stores, DVD rental stores. And the idea was we'd mail you a DVD and you could return and get another one when you were in the grocery store because everyone has to go grocery sh shopping. Um, but it turns out it really wasn't worth the extra effort and it was shut down. Um, and the other thing is, you know, Reed was, Reed is pretty was pretty brilliant about strategy. Like we had done the, we had made this, uh, we had been frustrated with the adoption of streaming um, and the fact that there weren't streaming devices we were just having people stream on Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo, Wii, and their PC and Mac, which is fine, but it was like, ah, there needs to be a streaming device. And so we bring in Anthony Wood, who's the guy who created the DVR uh, from Roku. He had a soundbar, uh, was the only product they had at the time. And he had him develop a streaming player for, for Netflix. And we got down to like the 11th hour. Like I was shooting promotional videos in Spokane, Washington for this thing to go on the website um, and like everything was ready to go items, uh, uh, boxes were made. And at the, like it was December and Reed just said, everyone has to come in all hands. And he said, we're not going to make a streaming device. And because the reason was that if we wanted to be everywhere, we would need to be on other hardware. And if we wanted mm. other hardware or something called device ubiquity, if we create hardware, we're competing with the very people we're going to try and convince to put us on their hardware. And so that was the decision was, we're not going to do that. We're going to spin uh, the Netflix player out, rebadge it as Roku, and that's going to be their product. And we'll help them and we'll invest a little in Roku as a company. 
and they'll they'll get the streaming player and we'll get device ubiquity and that's exactly what happened and roku under anthony woods went on and did a phenomenal job of of expanding beyond hardware into uh, ad sales as well um and that that's, that's pretty impressive to me that he he did that as well I had no idea that that's the origin of it. I've had several Roku's and I didn't know that Netflix was part of that. Yeah. The very first Roku player, uh, streaming player was a Netflix player first. And my friend still has the prototype that we were using to shoot videos with. Um, it was a dummy, but it was still pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> so how did you get past like the sunk cost fallacy and things about 11th hour, we've put this much money into it and still having, I don't know, would you say it was courage or wisdom to just say, look, we've taken this all the way except for pushing the launch button. You know, where does where did that come from? Well, I mean, keep in mind that like the, the Roku play or the, the Netflix player was given to Roku and then Netflix invested in Roku. So it didn't it's not like the, the Netflix player just was stopped and everything destroyed. Oh, okay. It was rebadged. And then we also invested in Roku so that they could be successful, um, which, of course, paid dividends as well. So I, I think it comes down to Reed and his ability to think strategically and make tough calls. And the board was totally behind him. You're like, yes, that makes sense. Let's do that. Okay, all right. Great. <laughs> it, it's an amazing story. <clears throat> I mean, it should be up there. Um, I don't know how it's perceived outside of my own head, but <laughs> up there with Apple and you know some of the other uh, major disruptions and advancements of it's just not it's just not technology. It's not entertainment. It's it's culture and behavior. Right. Right. Do you have a dream guest that you'd like to have and? either fix a sandwich with or for. Wow. I've never been asked that. And I don't, I mean, do they have to be alive? <laughs> Let's do one of each. Okay. <laughs> uh, Joe Strummer of the clash would be the, the one that's no longer with us. Um, lead singer, uh, alive. I don't know. I, I, I guess Alton Brown might be the one. I, I don't know. I actually, this is the, I'm, I'm kind of not great with on the spot questions and uh, this shows it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I guess Alton Brown would be, would be, huh? Jacques Pepin. <laughs> yeah. Jacques Pepin. My significant other is on the couch next to me here. But, oh, uh, tell her I said hi. <laughs> um, Jacques Pepin would be another, that, that would be also Great. Ah, yeah, that's, that's tough. Tell me uh, who Jacques is. I think I've heard the name, but I don't know who he is. He is a French chef that came, he used to cook for the, the leader of France, um, got recruited to come over. He came over to uh, New York City in the 70s, 60s, somewhere in there. And he ended up working for Howard Johnson's. Uh, and he learned to, he helped level up their food. And then he also learned to make food at scale and fell in love with America. And he's been on uh, cooking shows on public television for decades now. Um, and he watching him is great because you learn technique. You don't just go, Oh, that, that looks like a good sandwich. And he's like, here's what you need to do when you're doing this. And it's like, Oh, this is 
Okay. All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're checking out. Does your SO have a favorite sandwich? Do you have a favorite sandwich? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I hate sandwiches. I hate all this. <laughs> he doesn't hate sandwiches. In fact, the one uh, today that I'm posting, I think, day after tomorrow. So they're they're not. A, she's vegetarian, almost vegan. So okay. there's not a lot of the sandwiches that I make that she can participate in. <laughs> oh, there you go. Muffaletta from Central Grocery, vegetarian version. Oh, excellent. Excellent. <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, let me see if I had any other questions for you. Um, yeah, I was fascinated about the the Netflix and uh, um, you know, looking at your other company history, the, the word Kaizen jumped out too because – um, we actually run that at my company when we have kind of a disaster, like continuous improvement. So that, that word kind of leapt off uh, the page for me. So, yeah, yeah, that was, um, uh, the brand manager at Netflix and I started a partnership, uh, when we left Netflix, uh, soon after. And the idea was continuous improvement, always get better, always test small gains actually compound, Right. So if you if you get a two percent lift on your uh, in conversion on your website, that's you know, and it's not much now. That's great, but ten you know five years from now, that could be phenomenal, or it could lead to another discovery that's going to be phenomenal. So yeah, the idea of kaizen really resonated with us, and we wanted to kind of embrace that and put it front and center. Have you ever had uh, you ever had a sales career, sales side of your career? Or has it always been marketing? Well, you know, with kaizen, we actually had to learn a little bit about sales, um, and it's. Not something that either of us had done. We always thought like, oh, well, we're in marketing. We know how to, to, to close business. And it's like, no, you don't. Um, and so we did take a course on sales. Um, we, we learned, um, oh, what's the method? I cannot remember it. It was a, a sales method, and it's got a guy's name attached to it, and I can't remember, and it's killing me. But it was fantastic because it wasn't you selling. It was you listening to the per- person that you're you're talking to listening what the pain asking you know figuring out what the pain of, that they're going through figuring out what the consequences of if they don't do anything are and figuring out if they've got the decision and the budget to do what they need to get done and if not you're like we can't help you like the, <laughs> you know what I mean? it was it was less about convincing them to come on you gotta trust us we're gonna fix everything and more of a honest evaluation of, are we a good fit? Uh, and are, or are we just trying to get their money? Cause if we're just trying to get their money, chances are, we're just going to, we're going to fail. We have to figure out, are we the right people to address what they need, uh, done? Was it, let's get real or let's not play. Was that it? Sandler method. Sandler. Sandler. <clears throat> yes. That was it. Whew. Yeah. Mine like a steel sieve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sam, Sam, the Sandler method is the thing that we studied, and it and it worked. It it worked. I had a variation of that, and I still remember when my uh, heart rate went up because I was using one of these techniques. Like you said, maybe we're not the guys for this because mm-hmm. the the client I was talking to, uh, we were going down a completely different path, not a technology fit. And it was one of those things in the movies where it just like slows down where it like zooms in. And I saw myself saying this where it's like, I don't think we're a fit. And then I was like, 
<laughs> you know, just yeah, yeah. sweating and palpitations, but it was right. And <laughs> it took us on a different direction, but I was terrified to say that. Yeah. The first time, it, first time you do that, it's like, Oh, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? <laughs> but you know, you, you come to learn that the, the, either a, they, the person that you're speaking to didn't adequately convey what, the information and they think that you are a fit and they try and tell you why or b they appreciate that you have taken the time to listen to them and evaluate it and that you're not a fit and you know we'll make referrals if we're not a fit uh to other uh, marketers and other agencies well it goes back to what you said how did they speak about their problem <clears throat> that should be the first start of every sales meeting yep. is how do you describe what's going on here why are we sitting here yeah exactly and that that was one of the questions it's like why are we meeting and what, what's going on? Okay. Well, tell me a little bit more about that. Tell me a little bit more about that. Tell me what, what happens if you don't solve this? What are, what are the consequences if, if, cause you know, it could be that this is a problem, but it's not a big problem. So you don't really need to address it urgent. You don't need to address it immediately. So then, you know, we're, we're on this six to 12 month journey and that might not work for either of us. So, you know, yeah. how, how, what, how, what are the consequences of, this not being solved. Um, and then you like, okay, well then if it, it is a fit, uh, you think it is a fit, you say, okay, well we come back with a scope of work. And that's another thing that we learned is we, we used to do proposals and we would put in the proposal, all the stuff we were going to do. And we send it to clients and wouldn't hear back from them. And then we'd slowly watch as they implemented all the stuff that we said. So, and the, the Sandler method called that spilling the candy, um, <laughs> which is pretty funny, but uh, basically we learned that, scope of work here's phase one phase two phase three here are the cost breakdowns here are the objectives of what we're going to do and how and but we don't say how we're going to do it yeah yeah <clears throat> i like that uh i think i've kind of found a, an amigo here with a lot of different interests right the yeah. sales and marketing you've got your <laughs> beer you've got your sandwiches yeah. um but yeah, and I this is one of the reasons I enjoy doing this podcast is that it's a, a creative outlet and but it, it the gears mesh with a lot of other things mm -hmm. and it's just uh, and you never know. Yeah, are you a Ted Lasso fan? <laughs> you betcha. Yeah, so that that quote that is attributed to Ralph Waldo Emerson, but I don't know if it, I, I understand it's not necessarily true. But that whole idea of be curious, not judgmental, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant because then you open yourself up to all possibilities uh, as opposed to just shutting things down automatically, which a lot of people do. Um, so I try to, I try to kind of embrace that, even though it was on a TV show and it's kind of hokey, it's still valid, I think. And so I think, you know, you, you're going into this podcast with the same sort of approach, like, you know, let's, let's learn something. Let's talk to people. And then you go off, we can go off on these tangents and you can learn like, wow, I didn't know I, we'd, we'd have similar interests across several different, uh, different areas. Yeah. <laughs> I love that show so much. <clears throat> I haven't gone back to watch it again because I know it'll hold up. It does. But I, I want to have the, that first watch experience and those emotions, um, just a little bit longer. All right. I, I yeah, I, maybe I shouldn't tell you that I have watched the first season five times and the second season three times. But see, I could easily see myself doing that too. <laughs> if someone turned it on right now, I'd watch it again. I just, yeah. I just, it's one of those, it's kind of like if Groundhog Day is on, I'm watching that. 
Die Hard comes on, I'm watching that. <laughs> There's no question about it. So, where do you stand on Die Hard being a Christmas movie? I agree. <laughs> I do too. I, I think it is. It's it's, <laughs> it's wrapped all around the, the 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 story of the movie. So, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's not a traditional Christmas movie, but it's still a Christmas movie. Correct. Takes yeah. place at Christmas. There's Christmas carols. There's, there's Christmas party. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> there's snow at the end in the form of paper flying out of the Nakatomi Towers. <laughs> uh, there. <laughs> Where are you I want, at, by the way? I'm in Denver or yeah. Arvada, right? Between uh, Golden, Colorado and downtown Denver. Gotcha. Okay. Very cool. Very cold. Uh, it's three. <laughs> <laughs> right now it's this cold. many it's yeah, if you can count the, the temperature on one hand that's cold <laughs> i went this morning and it was like 32 and i'm like oh so cold and i see other people posting like minus something i'm like oh, okay it's not that bad yeah run club last night uh it was seven and my eyelashes were starting to yeah um yeah ah. the dude the dudes with beards came in and they were totally frosted up yeah <clears throat> I mean, I'd still do it if I lived there because I love running. So, uh, in Die Hard, I saw this actually on Netflix. They like the movies that made us when yes, they were. I love that. Yeah, and as, so you know this this bit of trivia that when they were cutting Hans Gruber loose, they told him they're going to do it on three, and they did it on on two. Brilliant! <laughs> Just absolutely brilliant. I love that. Yeah, and I love that. I love that show, and the uh, song "Exploder" is also good if you haven't seen that. It, and, and no, it's kind of the same thing with sort of like a behind the scenes of certain uh, moments in music. And you know, I don't not a fan of all of the songs on it, um, and I wish they'd do more. But that one's pretty good as well. So check that out. Have you seen the Foo Fighters Sonic Highways documentary? I have not, not yet, which is surprising because I love Foo Fighters. <laughs> it's amazing because that they they talk about that song and they have like Bob mold from um, Husker oh, yeah. do come in and yeah. the guy from cheap trick. And they actually have like this crazy amp switching over thing. And I've always wanted to like some of my favorite songs. I've always wanted to be in the studio Yeah, when it's coming together. Not like when they're cutting the final edit, but like they're just farting around on the keyboard and it comes together. Did you watch that, uh, that um, Beatles documentary on Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus? No, that's on my list too. Absolutely check that out because that's exactly what that is. Um, okay. You can see it coming together and let it be. And it's just like that, the, the songs like, what was it, um, Get Back? Paul just starts with a riff. Like it's not like they, he sat down and like, I've got an idea for a song. He's just riffing. And then it becomes, you watch it become this song. And it's a little plotting at some points. But it's definitely worth a watch because you get to see this this historic, iconic music as it becomes what it is. It's crazy. The last experience I had like that was um, Writing Giants. Have you heard about that documentary? I have, yeah. I haven't seen it. <clears throat> it's very cool because it goes all the way back to the big wave guys in the 50s mm -hmm. in Hawaii. Oh, nice. And it it took me back to like watching the invention of say like basketball or a sport. Cause you're literally seeing these guys develop and there's footage and, and just the, the scenery was just amazing. All right. So I've got so. two document docs to check out, uh, riding giants and the sonic highways. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Barry, this has been amazing. I, I'm so happy to have just connected with you and you know, to, yeah, to see you again. I'm sorry I was late. <laughs> it's all good. It's yeah. all good. I, I sincerely appreciate the time. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, where can people find you? I'll post links to all this, but uh, Sandwiches of History, and then you've got your other accounts. Yeah, uh, Well, let's see. On TikTok, we've got Sandwiches of History. In the Chips with Barry, Barry Cook's TikTok, Ice Cream O'Clock. Then on Instagram, we have Sandwiches of History, In the Chips with Barry, Barry's Cooking Again, Barry's Ice Cream O'Clock, and Craft Beer Barry. And then on YouTube, there's Sandwiches of History and In the Chips with Barry. And then on Facebook is Sandwiches of History and In the Chips with Barry. Awesome. Yeah, And if you're in sales and marketing, um, Follow Barry on LinkedIn for sure. It's some amazing content there. Thank you. Appreciate that greatly. Yeah, I'm going to steal that. And I know I'll be asking you for advice down the road. Absolutely. Give me anytime. Barry Underwick, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. You are welcome. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks. Great interview. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yes. (laughs) And uh, take your wife to go get that muffaletta as a thank you. At some point, we'll make it back down to New Orleans. We tend to go, we tend to go there at least once a year. We have friends down there. Well, tell her thanks for letting me borrow you for an hour. I appreciate it. <laughs> See you, bud. Episodes of this podcast are produced and written by me, Matt Sodnikar. The intro was engineered by good friend Cole Weinman. And our original score theme song, Retro Funk, was composed by previous guest and good friend Randy Wiafe. I also have two requests. If you like this show, please share it with a friend who you think might like it. And also take the time to show them how to listen to a podcast, either on Apple, Transistor, or Spotify. And I know you know somebody out there that would make a fantastic guest. And if you do please shoot me an email to podcast at thewarmfront.com. Thanks for listening.